Howdy, folks. You're listening to the High Res, Low Res podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Fischel. I'm so excited about our next guest that I'm just going to jump right into it. Our next guest on the podcast is John Malta. John Malta is an illustrator, author, art director, comic artist, and educator. That's, that's a lot. Um, their clients include The New York Times, The New Yorker, Complex, Liquid Death, and Doc Martens. Um, John talks about growing up in Ohio, how punk rock and wrestling changed his life and the communities he formed around it, how leaving Brooklyn to Kansas City was a strategic personal and business move, the source of his comics, inspiration, and the ever-evolution of mediums his characters take on, and so much more. As we mentioned in the recording, I met John while in grad school, and within five minutes of talking with him at the Spittin' Devil, I knew we were going to be best friends. Um, we learned so much from each other in our early journeys, in our early years as creative people, uh, and I'm so happy to share this conversation that we had at the very late January of 2023. If you're interested, you can buy John's children's book, Intergalactic Moving Day, from the link in our show notes. If you liked our conversation, please rate, comment, and review the podcast, and be sure to subscribe to the show. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at goodbadjpeg at gmail.com. That's goodbadjpg at gmail.com. Here's my conversation with John Malta. No, I'm Ohio's great. I mean, there. It's funny that you say that because I feel like that's true. And yeah, there are those memes where it's like there are more astronauts from Ohio than anywhere on Earth. I didn't and know it's that. Like, so more people have gone to space from Ohio. Like, I mean, it's a, it's not. I don't know if that's a true fact, but it has been written in a meme. So, um, but yeah, uh, Cleveland. Ohio, I mean, I, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and I I loved growing up in Cleveland. Um, yeah. And I definitely, I know, yeah, there are a lot of people dunking on it, though. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, what was it like growing up in Cleveland, Ohio? I mean, I know that there was like a small punk scene that was there and, and everything. Yeah, I was a pretty active member of the punk community in Cleveland throughout high school. Like I played in punk bands, yeah. um, both as a singer and a uh, bass player. Uh, in different bands and a drummer and um yeah it, it cleveland at the time so it was the early 2000s and i feel like it wasn't as it was a little less developed than it is now so a lot of my time was spent hanging around this entertainment district called the flats and i would skateboard around that area with my friend mike who was also in a punk band and yeah we would i don't know yeah it was it was like a really great time growing up there like skateboarding around going to punk shows there's like a couple 24-hour diners in this area called lakewood that we would go to after shows and of course mm -hmm. like denny's um in east lake we would hit up a lot uh with all of the other people that were in bands after like larger shows mm -hmm. yeah there's quite a few like the bands that i was in were kind of maybe the first band i was in was more in informed by like operation ivy and sort of early like ska punk sort of stuff and then the later band i was in was more of like a 77 style punk band like richard hell the dead boys johnny thunders sort of uh vibe and yeah the punk scene in cleveland 
was great and is still remains great. It's always been great. Like, you know, dead boys are from Cleveland cramps are from Ohio. Uh, there's so many like early, like, uh, seminal punk bands from that area. And then in general as like a, I don't know, like a kid living in a smaller city, but a city still, it was, yeah, it was a great experience and like connecting with so many different people. Like there was the high school I went to, but like all of my friends went to different high schools you know, you maybe had a similar experience with like in Pennsylvania with the different punks that went to different high schools, then convening together in one place at Mm -hmm. one spot, uh, like in the community and then having sort of a place where you can go where like, yeah, you feel creatively energized and excited and like, you've kind of have found your people. Right. I mean, um, I remember growing up and, um, just feeling like a total outcast in high school. Like I had like a lunch table of just like people that didn't really fit into any other social clique. Like I hung out with people that like read manga and, and watched anime and like, just like people that were just kind of a little weird and like, not like, yeah. you know, straight laced kind of like whatever of, you know, fill in the blank of any like high school stereotype (laughs) and (laughs) all the uh, not normies. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, it's weird because at that time too, it was like the the days of MySpace and like connecting with people, uh, going to show, like finding out like, like, you know, VFW halls and, you know, um, just like, uh, like kind of like, you know, halls that you can rent out for shows and stuff like that. And I remember like I had, I had a couple friends that basically, got a small business loan and opened up uh, this venue that uh, recently shut down a couple of years ago called Championship. And it was like a record store slash music venue. And I got to see like Strike Anywhere, Bane, and like so many cool like punk and hardcore bands like over the years. Even Cro-Mags. I got to see Cro-Mags. They came to Central Pennsylvania, which is crazy. And just listened to them yesterday. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, just everything about them is great anyway. Uh, and, uh, now like so many, uh, places that you can play shows at have been shut down because of no- noise complaints and this and that. And, you oh, know, yeah. a-, a handful of people that still believe in like, you know, keeping music alive in social PA, like have like, like a, like a few venues open in like the Lancaster area of like central PA and all that. But it's, totally not the same of what it was like 25 years ago uh when i started mm. going and seeing shows and everything but uh i totally like am with you on uh the whole like really finding community like not like in your immediate surroundings but like totally within a community like engulfing like an area of like other high schools and stuff of people who really like also listen to dead Kennedys. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, totally. are, are, are like curious about yeah. veganism or something, you know, um, what, what was the reaction when you went to, uh, did, did, did you roll up to, um, like diners in like with a lot of people? Cause I remember going to diners yeah. and being like, Hey, like we like to get a few tables and they're like, how many and we're like 40 and they're like what probably and half we, the rest we'll take that yeah. half of the restaurant we like yeah. took over half Total, the restaurant 100%, yes and our bill would yeah. be like a hundred and like thirty dollars because we all got coffee and fries <laughs> yeah yes yeah yeah or like eight fries off of plates that were like being sent back by other people that had left the rest the restaurant totally dude yeah that's like uh so that that is 
exactly an analogous experience to what I, yeah, we like four different bands would play a show somewhere. Like there's a place that, that uh, we played at a lot called Pitt Cleveland. And uh, after that, yeah, we would, we all, that was like on the West side of Cleveland and a lot lot of us lived on the East side of Cleveland and we'd all drive back to this Denny's on the East side of Cleveland and like take over half the Denny's. And it was like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. So like, I would say most of the, I mean, the servers didn't care because no, not really anyone else is in the restaurants. You know, what made you decide to go to Columbus College of Art and Design or CCAD as it's often called? Yeah, I I knew I wanted to move somewhere, but I wasn't sure where. And I had been taking a lot of trips to Columbus, Ohio um, with all of my friends, we would take like skateboard trips down there because there's a lot of good skate spots around there. There's a place called the Blood Bowls that my friend Mike and I used to like. It's like this big, like concrete sort of like uh, structure that's like shaped like a V that you could like crash in on uh, and drop in on. And um, so we had been going there for that. And then I went to an art camp that they that CCAD hosted when I was like a between my junior and senior year of high school and that experience really like informed my decision to go there for sure. Cause I, at the time, like I, like my parents were very supportive of have always been very supportive of me as an artist or even any of my like sort of endeavors, you know, as like very grateful for them in regards to that, like wanting to play in punk bands or like wanting to, uh, to be an illustrator, to be an artist and to have sort of like full support of like, well, if this is the thing you want to do, take it seriously and like really do it. Um, and uh so in cleveland i was going to like um different like figure drawing nights and uh taking different classes at the cleveland art institute like when i was a junior and senior like during like winter breaks or like in the summer sometimes during the school the high school school year too but yeah i i went to i eventually went to ccd summer camp i loved that experience and then i decided to go there just because i really liked columbus as a city it was a new space to explore and you know the school definitely like informed my work a lot and it's funny because you mentioned myspace uh earlier as part of like the your punk scene and i feel like myspace is how i started it is how i started to become an illustrator also so i moved to ccad and went there for four years for undergrad and like i feel like i learned so much about the design and illustration like uh process in regards to like actually making art but not so much the like business side of it and i had a lot of great mentors there and at the same time while i was like you know learning the fundamentals of design and like what visual hierarchy meant i was also on myspace messaging all of the punk bands that i liked saying hey i would love to like draw a poster for you can i draw a poster for you Mm -hmm. and sort of laying the foundation for what what ended up being like my first like kind of like illustration and design portfolio um yeah yeah i mean i remember just like you know really similarly having a portfolio on myspace and just yeah messaging bands also the same and being like here's the stuff and it was totally normal this was like pre like this was like around the time when like illustrators started to have websites but like they were all kind of like not great you know <laughs> they're not like the robust websites that we see today at all they had like click on rollovers and stuff like that it was it was definitely like a time uh in like a microcosm of like websites and 
presentation uh, and all that. So did you have, uh, like, how was your, like, interaction with the instructors and like was there was there any like instructors in particular that were like mentors or like had a real profound impact on your experience totally i feel like it both positive both positive and negative ways like um i had my absolute favorite one of my favorite professors of all time is this guy Stuart mckissick he was my foundations professor he actually, I think, is the only class I had with him, but then I just remained connected with him because of the impact that he had. I have to think about that, too. Um, the, just, like, the importance that a single professor can have and the influence they can have on you. Like, he, he, he took things very seriously, and I was 18 and, you know, uh, uh, excited to be there and ready to take things seriously. And I think waiting for someone to be like, we take this seriously, we do this, this is, this is like, you know, come, work a lot, like he really helped hone my work ethic and like you know that i always was drawing and like obsessively like making stuff but i feel like just seeing the rigid sort of structure that he set in place it, it, i i really responded to it and i remember like one of the first few weeks every time he would lecture i would draw in my sketchbook and like i remember one time him saying him taking my sketchbook and showing the class i was drawing like trash on the ground and he was like, this is the most beautiful trash I've ever seen drawn. <laughs> like, this is like, you like he's over there drawing trash while I'm lecturing. He's like, this is what everyone needs to be doing. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm just going to keep doing this now. Like, I'm going to draw a lot, get good feedback from him and keep going. And, you know, I, I had so many great mentors and faculty members there and uh, both in the illustration and in the fine art department. Uh, but then, yeah, I had some professors I had these like two professors that like it was a co-talk class, which I, personally I think co-talk classes could work. Maybe like if like you're a collaborative team, like in your professional yeah. life, Th this was not a collaborative team in, the uh, in their professional life. And they, they were very like negative about my work, like told, did, said the exact opposite kind of like told, told me that like no one would ever hire me to make illustrations, said a lot of negative stuff that like, I don't know, like that you should, I feel like personally you should never even say to like someone that's like a sophomore in undergrad. It's like, what is the word? Like, what is that? How, how is that helpful in any possible way? Um, so it's like, I, I, and I think like, and in, in that, like there's definitely some like, I had some conflicts in regards to that with those two professors specifically, but um, I feel like it came full circle because there's a dentist in Ohio that buys my paintings and he's friends with one of them. <laughs> and now that person shows my work as examples to their class and like told the dentist, to tell me that they were sorry about what had happened wow. uh, in, in regards to that. So because I, I was asked back to CCAD to speak, and I talked about this specifically to like a whole auditorium of like <laughs> incoming freshmen, and I was like, maybe you don't always need to listen to your professors. Like a lot of the stuff they're saying, yeah, maybe like listen to that. And you know, if like twenty-two people are telling you that you're drawing hands in a way that doesn't work well, maybe consider drawing some more hands. But like, if one or two people are telling you this thing, maybe that's not the best advice, and you don't need to listen to it. So. I mean, um, I, 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 I'm still haunted to this day and probably part of the reason why I don't, I, I try to avoid teaching figure drawing or any kind of like 101 on like how to draw 
which is like this one instructor was just like always coming around to my drawing and saying that like my hands are have sausage fingers or I, I'm drawing <laughs> I'm drawing crab hands again and I'm just like still to this day I'm just like anytime I'm drawing hands or something I'm like about that yeah to the back of my head is like <laughs> them talking to me as I'm just you know crab hands I, sausage fingers. <laughs> Oh no, all over again. The trauma (laughs) of art school. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, Uh, my experience there overall was really positive. Like, yeah. uh, Yeah. How how was uh, Uh, your inner. You had Chris Payne, right? uh, I, he and I, I had him because he was like the uh, chair of the area of illustration while I was there. Yeah. So I had reviews with him, like my my, sophomore review was with him. And he was always very supportive about the work I was making, but I actually never took a class of his. Like wow. His classes were um, elective classes. And I think because I was taking so many elective classes in the graphic design and fine art area, um, it just, yeah, it, it never clicked. It's funny because, yeah, I feel like at the time, you know, uh, where we met in grad school at SVA, like that definitely informed and opened up my mind to to the industry of illustration more right but like at the time that we're talking about in my like creative practice i feel like i was most i was doing like intern i was interning with this concert production company called promo west productions where i'd make a poster a week for like a different band that was going to be here that would then like the poster would sometimes be used in print sometimes it just be used to advertise the show uh, me and a few other illustration people at ccad uh that was like our internship i did that for like two years and you know my reaching out to bands on myspace led to that internship basically because i used that myspace portfolio as a way to get that internship but right i was most interested in like graphic design and uh fine art i i hung out at the space called skylab gallery that's still there to this day if you're ever in columbus ohio definitely hit it up um and had a lot of art shows there where i was making like paintings and installations and stuff so I feel like I was like telling stories in different ways, but I wasn't necessarily engaged in my mind. I was not in a place where I was like, I'm going to work for the New York times someday. Like I was like making art and I wasn't necessarily like making it as a way to like lead me to like, uh, I, I wanted to have a career as an artist, but not necessarily like these are the things that are going to lead me to be like an illustrator and uh, an illustrator in like the sort of traditional sense. So I think that's partly why I, I, I maybe never took his classes. Um, but I got a lot of great feedback from him and, you know, uh, recommendation letters from him and stuff. So definitely appreciate his presence there and the, the feedback he did give me while I was yeah. there for sure. You, you mentioned, um, you know, you had a dentist that like, you know, was a collector of your work. I, I know that, you know, as we've, we've talked over the years about, uh, various collectors, uh, what, what is it? How, how does, uh, I know I, like I've had a few students who are interested in, in the gallery world. And you've shown it at a lot of places all over the country. Uh, and like, uh, what is it like? How, how does one like, uh, how, how's it possible to like get uh, collectors in your, on, on your radar? And what's the interaction of like maintaining relationships with collectors? And like how like uh, close to like hands off is that relationship? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I so like I mentioned, I was really interested in like showing my paintings and like installation work. So when I was an undergrad, I would send out like, um, you know, uh, little like zine packets and stuff to different art galleries that I wanted to show with, and eventually then led to like some of my first like 
being included in some of my first group shows and at, at in places in like San Francisco that like felt like wow I'm my work is being sent to San Francisco I'm still just in Ohio um and I took every opportunity I had to show my work in Columbus Ohio and I think it's important like you know you can live in sort of like a some of the smaller like cities in America and like kind of figure out who you are as an artist and like develop and find like a community of people similar to what we talked about with like the punk scenes when we were in high school like mm-hmm you know, find your group of people and like establish sort of like a community, like in a, a smaller city, but then still sort of have a, a outreach outside of that city. And, you know, so I was showing a lot in Columbus, Ohio, while I was an undergrad at different like spaces and then eventually use that to like sign it, sort of send out uh, just self-promotional stuff to different art galleries and start showing with them. And then my work got noticed by like different people that buy paintings in Columbus Um and yeah, they, they started, um, to like regularly buy my, my work. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it felt like the most like almost pragmatic, it, um, approach to like art making that I had experienced beyond just like, um, make posters and then, you know, find an internship and then start getting hired to do like posters. Like, uh, I was just making the paintings cause I wanted to make them. And it was the work that made sense for me at the time in undergrad, same thing with the installations and, yeah luckily like uh just by sheer like you know energy putting that energy out into the world it it was thankfully returned to me and uh yeah i think like different relationships can excuse me uh relationships with uh collectors can can be weird um it's definitely like a it's different very different than like doing a illustration for the new york times where it's just like this is how much we pay you you want to do this? It's not our money. Like, you know, it's the company's <laughs> money or you know, whatever. It's like, there's no, there isn't any, there's no uh, personal connection to like the art director beyond just like either your, your professional friendship and like th- that they're a colleague that hires you to make work. Whereas like someone is giving you their money that they made with another business and wants you to go to dinner with them or like wants you, like I had like some weird experiences. Um, I feel like my, in my first like shows in New York where like, it just just felt like pressured to go get dinner with people and I feel like at the yeah. time it was like around the time that I had, was starting at SVA where like I was like I don't want to get dinner with this old person I want to like hang out with you and like you yeah. know go to like a coffee shop and get a coffee I don't I don't know I don't want to go to like a nice restaurant with this person mm-hmm. which is weird a weird like you know it's 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 definitely a place of privilege to be even be, be in that decision but I was like you know a, a young person wanting to hang out with other young people I want to hang out with old people I mean, I still feel yeah. that way, even though I'm, you know, 35. I, I have a, I have a friend of mine who kind of trans, who did kind of like the opposite of what, uh, who does, who does like kind of like one of the many things that a lot of illustrators end up doing, which is like you do illustration forever and then you decide to either continue that or you transition oh, yeah. into like another practice. And, uh, a friend right. of mine went into the gallery world and he said, let like, like a, an actual curator actually told him like, like I want to buy your stuff, but like, are you like in this? Like you're gonna continue doing this as if like, oh, you right. know, yeah. I guess because of like, uh, some collectors want to really see like the perceived value that like, if they buy your painting, like you're gonna continue to like be a painter or a gallery Grow artist it, or something, yeah. and and it like you know because they're not just buying stuff to show on their walls, but like it actually holds value that they can then sell it like Sotheby's yeah. in like thirty years or something like that. Um, 
which is a whole thing. Uh, you've mentioned SVA a couple of times. Uh, I want to, you know, wh why did you decide to go to SVA and, you know, uh, you know, when you, you know, we're definitely selling paintings to dentists and stuff in Ohio and that seemed pretty good. <laughs> yeah, dude, I could have easily stayed in Ohio. I was really happy in Columbus. Like I worked at Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream with like a bunch of other musicians <laughs> and artists. Jenny's hadn't been franchised at the time and it was, there was like a couple locations and it felt, and it still feels like a very special place. And yeah. I, every time I love that it's in a lot of different places now. Like anytime yeah, but, I, because I'm, you it, mentioned that you worked at Jenny's, you know, me and me and you, we were roommates at one time. Like I went, the first time I went to uh, Columbus, Ohio, first thing, one of the first things I was Jenny's. like, I need to get Jenny's. I need to try this magical stuff. And it was amazing. I, yeah. I absolutely love it. It's killer. Yeah. Yeah, brown butter, almond brittle, my favorite ice now, cream. Now I can get, now I can get their uh, pints at Whole Foods, and it's great. Yeah, I was just going to say, I get their pints at Whole Foods in Kansas City now. Uh, but I, I was I was freelancing, showing paint, freelancing for like bands and stuff, and showing paintings and like working at an ice cream shop, like, you know, 30 hours a week. And it was, it was a, it was really cool, like really fun, like time. Like I, that's what I was doing, like after undergrad. Um, instead of like, you know, getting a job at like an ad agency in Columbus or like as a graphic designer, I was like, well, I, I feel like a good creative energy is happening with my, um, my paintings and my installations and sort of the community I've developed here. So like, I feel like I should just find some kind of reliable job that doesn't make me want to die. And, uh, mm -hmm. Jenny's was it. And, uh, but at the time too, I was like, maybe, maybe like I should go to grad school. Like I really wanted to go to, I really wanted to, um, Want to have the experience of living in New York City, and uh, had only been there like once or twice before, uh, and uh, I just felt like I now I'm ready to move on and have sort of a new experience to inform my outlook as an artist and to like grow as a person. And so I applied to grad. Like really, SVA was the only grad school in my mind that I wanted to go to um, after like researching all of the different grad schools. Um, yeah, it's just, it just it felt definitive to me in regards to just how. Uh, who who, who taught there and who went there and uh, you know it and I applied and you know got in and got a phone call from Marshall and uh, yeah it it uh, it definitely changed a lot for me in regards to um, my creative practice and like sort of the focus that I had and mm -hmm. you know I met people like you who like were like yeah man like illustration isn't just all like clip art of businessmen walking up a set of yep. stairs holding like bags of money like it's like there's a lot of stuff happening and you know it was my own like ignorance at the time that i didn't necessarily know how much more was happening within illustration at the time because i was kind of just focused on making my own stuff and um but yeah so i made the decision to move to new york city go to sva and yeah i i, I feel like that definitely was uh a great decision. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. What, what's your favorite, uh, Marshall Aerosmith story? Favorite story that like interaction I've had with him or yeah. like, yeah, his, the, his, his yeah, yeah. he has so many great stories, but my favorite, <laughs> my favorite interaction with him. I mean, you, I feel like you and him are like, definitely were like the two of you helped me. I feel like in regards to like, connecting more with companies like the New York times and like mm -hmm. companies that are out, were outside of sort of the niche markets that I was uh, a part of organically where I remember like having a portfolio review with him, like assessing my work and him talking to me about who I was working with. And it, he asked me like, 
it's like, John, do you only want to work for weirdos or like, are you trying to get like work beyond like sort of like these specific interests that you seem interested in, but like, you know, you could be doing stuff that's outside of this too, like connecting with markets outside of yourself. And so I was like, well, maybe like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't been like challenged in that way in a way where it was like a challenge and also like an encouragement as well. And I feel like that's like the magic of Marshall is like, he knew exactly what you needed to hear and how you needed to hear it. And like, yeah, that would, that advice was incredible. Like, cause I, you know, I, and then you like people like you and, uh, Chai Birmingham and Ben Voldman and Hey Sue, like all of you were all, and uh, all of you were all so active in regards to like, like just the process of like, yeah, this is the process of getting illustration work. We mm -hmm. make postcards, we use agency access, we send emails, do a lot of this sort of like self-promotional stuff. Basically what I was doing on MySpace, but like, you know, with in, company, in a very like professional, and, clean cut kind of way, while still remaining, yeah. having all your weirdo stuff to be packaged in a way with like still doing that. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to have weird stuff on your stuff? Like, you know, call John Malta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why not? Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, so I think like a lot of the like that sort of like process stuff was like totally invaluable to learn, but and you know definitely is what led to me working with a lot of different like companies that I, I wasn't necessarily working towards, but I'm ha happy and grateful mm -hmm. to have like uh, done work for, for sure. Would you do it again? Like grad school? Like, like, you know, if, uh, no, knowing everything that you know now, like, would you go again just to like get more of that nectar of like two more years of development time or. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I love, school and academia in general mm -hmm. um and yeah at the moment and considering getting an ma in english and writing because that's become a huge part of my um practice as an artist and uh i i think like you know in regards to going back to school for illustration again yeah it, it would I feel almost like, because I recently established a studio with the illustrator Frank Norton in Kansas City. Yep. Um, I'm actually looking out the window at our studio right now. <laughs> Frank is not there yet. Um, there's a, better... The sun's really high, and when he gets yeah. to the studio, he pulls the blinds down. So, like, I can, and I live in an apartment that's close by. So it's like, oh, Frank's not at the studio yet. Um, bit better text him and be like, yo, it's almost 10 a.m. Where you at? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> But like in regards to like going back to school, it does definitely feel a little like uh, uh, just the creative energy. Like I, it's the first time I've had a studio outside of my house with like another artist and the energy that that's brought has been so cool and so great. And just kind of like working alongside someone else who's like in Kansas City and really dedicated to their practice and like really like just um, so like creatively active and like constantly making new things both for themselves and for client work and mm -hmm. Uh, I, I feel like in some ways that feels a little like I'm like back at the SVA studios and I, I would absolutely do SVA again. Like that, that was a great yeah. experience and all like, our, you know, our friendship that uh, you, mm -hmm. you were the first friend that I made there. We met in the backyard of the spit and devil when the second year took the first years out for a drink. And yeah. I remember talking to you and just be like, Oh yeah, me and this guy are going to definitely be friends. And oh, hell then, yeah. you know, a decade later you're in my wedding. So uh, this is how yeah. it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally.
Yeah, I wanna, I want, I definitely want to talk about your studio with Frank. I definitely want to talk about like you moving to Kansas City, but I want to talk about like the period between grad, gra- graduating and then moving out to Kansas City uh, for sure, yeah. you know uh, an academic uh, position out there. So, uh, what was it like in the time in between uh, and living in New York? Um, you know, still going to punk shows, still doing work. Like, how was it? How was it? Uh, like maintaining like a balance of like work life balance and all that. Yeah, I I feel like uh, I've always been someone that likes to stay home and draw a lot. So, yep. um, at that time, you know, uh, we were living together and like both freelancing and mm-hmm. uh, making it work. And I I feel like I met some other artists at that time too that had either recently moved to New York City or um we're moving there like Paul Wendell and Ren Renfro and um, yeah, just kind of like meeting like a whole, like other people who were also like kind of doing this together. And, you know, in talking about this, I feel like that's maybe like a thing I've repeated a couple different times, just like sort of that community of people I think is really mm-hmm. important. And one of the things that I think like was encouraging about it, I think if I was alone, like without not living with you, not, you know, establishing like these friendships that I still have to this day with uh, like Paul and Rand, like, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Like kind of think about doing it in a vacuum and be pretty hard to like continue to self-motivate to do that. And yeah. I'm a very self-motivated person, but yeah, I think like having that energy of other people who are in it together, who are like paying to send postcards and also maybe hearing nothing back on that one postcard you sent out, but then also like sending another yeah. postcard and be like, Oh sick. We both just got jobs from these postcards we've sent out or these emails we sent out. So I, I, I think I, that practice is important. Yeah. I, I don't remember. Did you live with me? Uh, like were you a student and you were living with me when I graduated from grad school? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in my second year. Oh, when so, you, you graduated. Yeah, so, so my second so, year is when I moved in with you, I believe. <laughs> Uh, something, something that I tell my students is that like, I I've had like, I think like three, like of like the worst moments of my, uh, professional practice happen. And the first one happened a few months after grad school where, um, and you know, this, uh, I looked at like my books and realized I was having a cash flow issue. And I was like, Oh, if after I pay all of my bills, I'm basically have like 40 bucks between now and like the end of July or something like that. And then I have like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And I just was like, all right, uh, what's something that I could eat every day and not feel sick of. And I'm just going to do that. Cause in college I, the thing that I did was like, you know, ramen noodles. And up until I think like the last couple of years, I, I just n- didn't do ramen unless it was like specially prepared at a shop with like miso, you know, broth and all that. And instead what I did was I bought like, I think like a dozen packs of hot dogs that were on sale. <laughs> I think I spent like $20 oh, yeah, on it. Oh man, I remember you eating this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, breakfast, yeah, yeah. lunch, and dinner, baby. Like, Dude, hell yeah. <laughs> hot dogs in a bowl. Breakfast of champions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, man! I didn't. I forgot. Like, you, yeah, you were talking about the videos. Like, for moments, I forgot about that. That, but yeah, that's yeah. so funny. I remember seeing you eating a bowl of hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I, at first, I was like fine, but then I was miserable. But you, but then you realize one, 
I was eating them straight, no hot, no bun. Yeah, just straight, just <laughs> like, a hot no, dog and a no bowl. ketchup, just, hardcore. Just that. I don't know. I think I was like on like a Henry Rollins trip where I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, like you know, I can do this. I'll just power through and just like you know, because I, you know, just reading like watch, watching interviews and stuff where he's like. You know, where he was like basically living on like like a fourth of a Snickers bar every day, like because that's all the money that he could afford when he played in Black Flag and stuff. I was just that was right. just like I don't know a bunch of nonsense. I I don't think if I had to do it all over, I would have done that. Practice. I I know I would have <laughs> I would have figured something out. Uh, you know, because you know my family's doesn't d- didn't really have money to really give me for groceries or anything. So yeah, you're uh, right establish it yeah and i mean in some ways it feels good to be able to do that to like establish yeah uh your creative practice on it on your own terms because i think that that's like definitely something that like i don't know just the amount of work that it takes to do something like that because yeah it's likewise like my dad is a mailman and my mom was worked at the cafeteria of my grade school so it's like yeah you know figuring out these things in a way and you know the, the work ethic that i have that you have definitely probably some in some ways comes from that uh, mentality where it's like we need to make this work um mm-hmm. and uh but yeah the 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 transition time so like i i i was freelancing and like figure i figured that out and you know freelancing for different companies and like living with you and uh then you know became pretty active within the comics community as well and yeah really wanted to focus on making comics and also while still maintaining this practice uh, as a freelance artist doing like editorial projects, advertising projects, book projects, those kinds of things. And kind of having that balance while also still, and then in addition to all that, still having a sort of like personal art practice as well. So uh, eventually I started looking for uh, a teaching position uh, or a position, like an academic mm-hmm. position within a university. Cause it's like, I, I loved going to school and you know, I, I feel like I could do something with that, with that, with the MFA that we have. And like, uh, I, I was again, kind of feeling like maybe it's time to like, to have like a new experience and like find like a, a, a new city to move to. And I applied to this, uh, position, uh, at a state school just outside of Kansas city. And it, uh, I, I, I got that position and moved at the time. Like, I remember having a lot of people, not so much you but other other colleagues of ours really discouraging me from making that move like being like you can't move like if you move what are you gonna do it's kansas city it's like mm-hmm. i don't know there's probably cool stuff there there's like i loved living in columbus i loved living in cleveland kansas city <sighs> is and it you know after living here for a while quite a while now it's a it's an incredible city um which you know since you visited a few times over the mm-hmm. last year and um, so I, I made the decision to move from New York city, but still maintain like a connection and presence there. And then, you know, um, moved here and, uh, yeah, really happy that I ended up doing that. Cause, uh, I feel like it, it definitely, um, helped shape my art practice in a, like a completely different way that yeah, I, I probably but, wouldn't, wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Because you, you know, you flew out and you still table at Mocha Fest, the Museum of Comics and Cartoon Artists Fest, um, like that's now associated with the uh, Society of Illustrators, and right. yeah, and you still like you know you come out for 
you know, sometimes the society and, uh, you know, American illustration party that happens in, you know, the early weeks of November. Uh, so, you know, you still kind of maintain that contact. And I think, I feel like, uh, especially at that time when you were moving, I feel like people were kind of, uh, I think there was like a lot of people from the comics community specifically where Cartoon Network and a couple of other like animation places were like, we need to look outside the box for, you know, animation talent that's not from like CalArts. And, you know, so they brought in a bunch of cartoonists from Brooklyn and like had them be like storyboard artists and, you know, uh, making props and stuff like that and background painting. And um, that's like a whole world that I have like a very limited knowledge of. And, uh, you know, but it, it's always interesting to kind of see like, you know, I think that because of that great exodus, like maybe part of it was just like, oh, if you leave, like, what are you going to do? But the thing is, is that like, there's so many illustrators that like straight up like work for everyone that we've worked for and then some, and they don't live in New York. Like they could even live in Europe yeah. too. Like it's crazy. Yeah. You could live on an Island and do what we do. Yeah. As long as you have an internet area. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's true. Totally. And you know, sort of maintaining for me personally too, I wanted to travel more and like, you know, paying to live in New York city and, not and like at that time like i i was doing more shows around the country too like in los angeles and uh kind of frequently showing there but not having the money to fly out and afford to go to those openings really um and because we was living in new york city and like i was like well if i I feel like if i move somewhere like kansas city maybe like that would be a good like home base to then be able to like come back to new york city like you said like table at comic arts brooklyn at the time brooklyn comics and graphics festival and uh mocha and you know go out to los angeles for these shows i'm doing and then i moved and that is you know the next sort of like few years of my life after that that's what i ended up doing you know try Mm -hmm. travel quite a bit still it's a big part of my like practice as an artist and um you know, being somewhere that's like so centered in the country, it's like pretty affordable to fly like anywhere in the yeah. US from Kansas City. Plus your like rent is like cut in half and studio that you are splitting with Frank is basically cut in half. Very from very what you probably yeah. would have spent in New York. Because that's that's the one thing is like I remember another thing, uh the one one regret uh that I have no real power or control to really change. Uh, was being able to have a studio space with other people. I mean, it's always good to like, you know, roll out of bed and walk into the next room and there's your studio space, like a little corner Uh in your apartment that your roommates allow you to have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, um, uh, you know, but people were spending like, I don't know, like 800 to a thousand bucks on top of their rent to have a studio space outside of their apartment. And, I don't know, like, uh, there's some months where I'm, you know, making like a low five figures and then, you know, other months, uh, where I made like only 500 bucks and I'm like, you know, I'm glad I saved money, you know, to kind of make it into the next month and the month after that. But like, I don't know, like having like so much, uh, money like invested in that, it just makes more sense that, you know, not only do you like go and move to another city and you have all these connections from the coasts and studios, but 
you also start to build community around you in the new city. So totally. Uh, you met if I remember. I remember talking to Frank uh, a bit about how you two met. Uh, shout out to Frank too. Uh, yeah, a, big shout out to Frank. Yeah, I, I'm gonna put him in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out his uh, his work at FB Norton. FB Norton. Uh, also, his wife is a fantastic painter. Uh, yeah, Lauren. Lauren Phillips. Incredible yep. work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think he met, he like saw that you were like selling work at some show or something or some you know I, I don't know where but. Uh, and then he went out to, like because he saw you were selling comics or something like that, and he like just to like come say hi and meet up with you. I think that was like how oh, that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that <laughs> that was yeah. The first time we met in person, I think was that uh, 18th Street on 18th Street. There's like all these streets that get shut down for First Fridays in Kansas City, where you can like sell your like ha- just like set up a table wherever and like sell your work. And uh, my little brother Juice Man was visiting. And uh, he and I had a tape set up a table with our friends Grant and Emily, uh, Cheating Snakes, and um, we uh, the four of us had a table there. And Frank came and like said, "What's up?" And uh, we were like online friends for a little while. And I remember like when uh, during COVID, I was in um, New York City for like the COVID year, basically, and. Uh, I made pine glasses and I remember Grant, uh, I remember, um, I, I'm put on a note to Frank, uh, cause he bought a pine glass, like let's hang next year. feels like I've been friends with Frank for like, mm-hmm. I don't know, a decade, but you know, realistically we've been like real life friends for only a couple of years. And, um, yeah. And the next year we hung out and ha- haven't looked back. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, it's been great. Yeah. Having a studio with someone that's like really like creatively energized and dedicated. And, and like you're mentioning like studio prices, studio prices in Kansas city are like shockingly like affordable. Um, yeah. like I, my half of the rent at our studio is like 230 bucks. Like <laughs> it's, it's, uh, one could dream yeah, it's of that in New York City. <laughs> crazy, yeah, and it's a bit, it's a, it's a substantial space. Like we have it set up kind of like a storefront and with like display cabinets and stuff. And yeah, it, it's it's definitely like uh, I, my, one of my favorite parts of Kansas City for sure is our studio. Um, right. Just living here, and um, yeah, man. Uh, how did you end up meeting Grant, aka uh, Cheatin' Skates? Cheatin' Snakes. Uh, he and I were again uh, just online friends. I feel like mm-hmm. most of my friends are that way, where it's like we're friends online, online. and then eventually, hopefully, yeah. manifests in reality in some way. And yeah, we I'd say similarly back actually when I was like moving to um, for the position, uh, Grant and I were online friends, and then just linked up back then. And um, yeah, just kind of like I feel like another kind of like when we first met too. I, I feel like both meeting you and uh meeting grant and meeting frank like like each time it's like oh dude yeah this Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is this is the dude we're gonna be like great friends and yeah uh grant uh and i i feel like maybe the first physical hangout was at kansas city zine con a lot of years ago he bought Mm -hmm. me a burrito and we started calling each other the burrito brothers and you know (laughs) uh (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, that, that, and it's, it, yeah, it's great. It's great having both of them here in Kansas city and just like meeting so many other like great artists and designers mm-hmm. here and, you know, sort of establishing that sort of like uh, community here as well. It's been, yeah. So, so incredible. Yeah. So, um, like I, I really want to talk up, uh, Kansas city because I feel like, um, it's basically a very under like Kansas city, Missouri, specifically the Missouri side is very, uh, underrated, even though it's in a, in a state that has politicians that kind of suck, you know? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That definitely, if that's your reasoning for not liking Kansas city or Missouri, then I'm a hundred percent with you on that. But yeah. Um, um but like, I, when I was there, uh, I feel like the food, you know, very comparable to all the things that I got in Brooklyn. Like even like I found yeah, man, like killer a, food culture here. Yeah, like when I was at, when I was there, uh, I think I was like you know it's before your wedding. Um, I uh, went to like a like a random poke shop that was like around the corner, and it was fantastic. Like there's so yeah. many like like good food, good food, good here. drinks, good everything there. And also, like, I remember, like, many years ago, I came to, like, speak at the college that's outside of right. Kansas City. Yeah, we you. brought you in. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and you drove me up to Lawrence, Kansas, which is, like, you know, not too far away from Kansas City. And that's also a little, yeah, like... Yeah, 35 minutes from here. It's killer, killer small town, too. Yeah, Wonder Fair is out there. and Yeah. Yeah, that was, like, one of the only spaces I knew about before moving to Kansas City was Wonder Fair, and, like, definitely, like, a destination as soon as I got here. I, I had been in, included in the show there when I was, actually, when I was living with you in New York, and yeah. Um, then, yeah, you know, just, it's, like, 35-minute drive from where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a cool small town too. Yeah, for everyone in Kansas City, hit up Lawrence. But yeah, Kansas yeah. City itself is such an inc- I, yeah. Like when I lived between New York City and Kansas City, I feel like a lot of people were like, "What do you do there? Like drink beer and watch sports?" Uh, <laughs> it's like that's not the only like mal- different people have made that joke, and it's like I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's such an incredible city in regards to like food culture and just the arts community here. There's like a great design community here. There's a great like. Yeah. Like sort of like gallery studio art like community here and well, uh just just yeah, just the, the different things that you would want from like a city exist here for right. sure. Um, I mean it's like Hallmark is there and like you have so many like heavy hitter right. like designer yeah, illustrators. Own, totally. Yeah. Like Ted Carpenter's in Kansas mind. City. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh so, yeah. Um I I think yeah it's definitely I feel like conversations I've I've had a lot at least over the last like year or so are people asking me about what that transition was like and what it's like living in like a, a different place but yeah I think it's like for me and I feel like I get that question a lot because I am someone that lived in New York City and then moved to Kansas City yeah. and love living in Kansas City and I think just like you know moving somewhere that has some kind of creative community like you know for like the 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 last month the month of december like frank and my wife siobhan and i had like a merch cabin on the lot Mm -hmm. of like this restaurant in our neighborhood called the campground uh alongside like a vintage store alongside Mm -hmm. like some other like artists and uh ceramicists and stuff and they're all in like little u-haul storage bins and like the fact that that kind of thing exists here is like so so cool and so like energizing to me and um 
you know, moving somewhere where like you feel like comfortable, but then you can also like kind of use it as like a home base to then go to where you want to go. Like, I, I don't, I don't think I would have been able to go to like Tokyo had I stayed in yeah. New York city, just in regards to like the funds that I had access to. So like, you know, um, yeah, being able to sort of like travel the world more was a big, big, big reason. And then also, yeah, you wanted to get more engaged as like an educator and share all this stuff mm -hmm. that I sort of learned and help other people along their creative journey, I think is definitely like, you know, that aspect of my like practice as an artist, I can't imagine not doing that now also. Right. So, um, yeah. So, um, your title is that you're a tenured associate professor and program coordinator of illustrator uh, illustration. Correct. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, let me say, let me say that again. You're a tenured <laughs> associate professor and program coordinator of illustration at a, at a college outside of Kansas city. Uh, what, how yeah. it, you've been there for over five years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how has that been? And like, how's been, how's it been like to, help evolve the program uh over the last couple of years yeah so like the position i, I applied to and uh got and moved for was unique in that like they were looking for someone to update their curriculum in illustration yeah. and to revise it to update it to make it more contemporary because it, it was a lot of like it was basically kind of almost like a painting like a narrative painting program or something like there wasn't yeah. a lot of like digital practices looped in there wasn't any sort of like business stuff looped into it and it was definitely a unique opportunity that I was like, this is like, seems, seems like a very like rare sort of opportunity to really like shape and mold like a program and uh, kind of like establish it in a way that I feel like makes sense. And uh, yeah, it's grown a lot over the years. We've been able to bring in like uh, different um, professors since I've been there, like, like cheat and snakes taught a class for us. Um, this other um, Kansas City-based artist, uh, Allison Carrick-Williams, taught for us, too. And uh, there's a lot of, like, really, um, yeah, just just the, the sort of, like, energy that that kind of process of, like, shaping a program and, like, developing it more and establishing sort of, like, who I am as an educator, uh, in addition to being a uh, uh, professional artist um yeah has been such an incredible experience and you know now that i've done it for so long it definitely feels sort of like uh intrinsically sort of like woven into my practice now where mm -hmm. it's like regardless of where i'm at like creatively it's like i will always uh be doing this um yeah because like i don't know it's like it's a, it's a sim similar sort of thing with like you know, being a part of like a punk community or something where it's like, you know, you have this information that you want to share with other people that are excited about this thing that you're uh, also excited about. And, you know, being in a position where you have this knowledge that you can share, I, I feel like is, is an important thing to do if you're able to do that, facilitate that. So um, it's been really cool just, yeah, uh, sort of like facilitating the space for, um, yeah, students who are excited about illustration and like kind of establishing their own creative practice in different ways. And now having done it for so long, seeing different like artists, like, you know, graduated and doing really well, it's like, yeah, an in incredible, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, experience for sure. 
Uh, you've developed a couple of classes there. Uh, one of them is like uh, an online course, the history of comics. Are, are there any other classes that uh, you developed that you really enjoyed uh, creating and that have just kind of really blossomed? Yeah, I mean, my favorite class to teach is a class called Advanced Illustration. So some of the classes I worked with in the structure of the like the name of the class to then like mm-hmm. kind of make it what I, I I feel like would be the most beneficial and like. I remember like feeling like so like it, that's a senior level class and i remember like when i was a senior in undergrad one of the main illustration classes i think only had us make four illustrations over the whole semester and which doesn't feel like enough in regards to just yeah. developing like a lot of work so and just with how fast you're like tasked to work as an illustrator it's i, I don't know so that class like i rewrote to where like we have a huge group critique of like 15 to 20 students every tuesday and um they all have to have a final illustration by that Tuesday. And like, we have like a one-on-one sketch critique on Thursday uh, and sort of that back and forth where it's like over like 16 weeks, you know, they make 16 to 20 illustrations and, you know, we look at the progress from like, it's a two part class in the fall and the spring. And like, you know, so it's like 32 illustrations total over like 32 weeks, sometimes more, uh, sometimes less depending on different projects people do. But um yeah, that class, I, I I have, like, you know, absolutely loved sort of that that energy of, like, yeah, this looks great, this is working, you know, maybe consider doing this differently, and then, you know, bring it back, bring back the changes next week, and let's see what's next. And, you know, that kind of, like, that that being their last, like, year kind of of the classes, I feel like is important in regards to hopefully helping them set up some kind of, like, habitual, like, process of, like, oh, I need to be making work and making a lot of work, because I feel like that's, like, mm-hmm. maybe the one thing that I feel like is, like, the one shared thing of most successful illustrators is that, like, you know, we all just, like, work a lot. Um, right. And make a lot of stuff. I mean, um, you're one of, I feel like, a few people I can name on one hand where the, I can always count on knowing the sheer amount of volume of work that you create is always going to be a lot. Like how many comics uh, a year do you make? I always, well, at least one, one to two, one at least and like one to two. I mean, over the last like decade I've made over 30 total. Yeah. Um, like zines comics self-published stuff and all of that that is just because i want to make it and you know um i I enjoy like making new stuff and sort of using like events like tabling events like mocha and comic arts la and tcaf and cake as like oh this is like the semester deadline like in my head or whatever you know where it's like this needs to be done for that so like i always have i'm working on a new comic right now for mocha um and like always try to have at least one to three new things at each fest that I do. Mm-hmm. And I usually do like, you know, three to six when like COVID isn't a thing. Cause there's still, uh, you know, and COVID is still exists, you know, obviously, uh, but uh, not every fest has returned. So I feel like it's like, there's still not like at one point, Siobhan and I were like tabling. I feel like at a new fe- yeah. fest every other month, I feel like that's not even possible at this moment in times. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, making, making that stuff, it's just like what, what I want to do. And like, uh, I don't know, it's the thing that like makes me feel like definitely like feel compulsion to do it and like makes me happy to be like alive and like definitely like 
I don't know. Yeah. It's the thing that like, I feel like I find the most joy in in life is like making that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's been cool to see where those different projects have gone. Um, and, yeah, and you met, yeah. and you met your, and like as part of comics, you met your wife at Mocha, uh, Siobhan. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Siobhan and I tabled at Mocha as friends. We were just friends in the illustration community. Like she, she bought, uh, a comic for me we didn't really talk too much and then, and then i was like i think that was that like my online friend and at comic arts brooklyn like uh, 2014 maybe and uh then i messaged her and i was like you came by the table right we i started and say hi and because we were already following each other i think on instagram and um or maybe tumblr was at that time and uh then yeah we she was looking for someone to share a table with in Mocha, uh, 2016. And we shared a table and just couldn't stop talking to each other that weekend. Um, and then like later in the year, she had some parties that you and I went to, uh, and then eventually like, yeah, I was living in Kansas city and I messaged her and I was just like, yeah, I, I told her that I liked her. And, uh, she liked me back and now we're married. Yeah. And, and I, I remember like you were, you were spending, you were teaching like eight months out of the year in Kansas city and then spending, you know, the summers in, yeah, in New York city. Yeah. It was just funny and really fun. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that's really sweet that, uh, how that, uh, has come about. How does it, how is it having a partner who is also doing something that's creative, um, you know, that's similar, but very different also from what you do on a day to day. Also very energizing. Yeah. Like Siobhan yeah. is so dedicated to her practice as an artist. Like I don't know. She was always drawing. Like, I feel like I draw a lot and make a lot of work, but like Siobhan spends so much is just so dedicated to her work as an artist and like, so like inspiring and energizing and like, you know, uh, I think just like cool to see that, uh, manifest and, uh, see her sort of like make different stuff since we've been together and like make different book projects happen. And, um, yeah, I, I really love, love it. You know, we spend most of our, we end most of our days drawing together on the couch and like watching, you know, different TV shows, movies and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's really, really cool way to like, you know, spend the last like three or four hours of every day where like, yeah, we're both just on our iPads working either on like, mm-hmm. you know, client projects or personal projects and like, you know, waking up and, you know, having that sort of energy just already sort of in the house is a really cool, cool and inspiring feeling for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It feels like I, I met the right person. That's very sweet. Another thing, uh, a part of, you know, your relationship and just creative uh, connection is that you both uh created and curated zigzag art book fair which is really fun can you talk a little bit about that and how that came to be yeah totally uh it's uh we because you mentioned that i spent my summers in new york city and like there wasn't there isn't there's there wasn't at the time uh this was 2019 a fest that was like kind of like illustration specific for the summertime like illustration art book comic um and we were like well so many people are already in here. All of our friends, the community that we have here in New York city, like we, that could just populate a fest. And <clears throat> I, ha- I have been, and I continue to do a lot of work with the, um, Brooklyn based gallery, cooler gallery, uh, 
and uh, they previously were in this massive space that was like a, a showroom for a, a flooring company and their, their gallery was within that and uh, in the Brooklyn Navy yard and we, Siobhan and I had um, exhibitions with them, like art shows with them and we're in different group shows and stuff too. And uh, one day, uh, Michael Yarinsky is the uh, d director's name. Um, definitely someone that I feel like really, um, yeah, happy to have connected with and just like he's helped facilitate such cool projects like I, I made like a whole like roadside attraction on long island with them as part of their residency called haunted francis storybook village uh and then one one point uh he mentioned like hey if you guys want to put together some kind of proposal for like a book fair in the summertime like or like whenever let me know and um mm -hmm. So we, we put that together and like kind of like made a list of who we'd want to table at it and then put together the first iteration of it, which was called Six Head Summer in 2019. And it featured a lot of different people from the like comic art and sort of like illustration art and slash illustration like product like community um, brought a lot of people together in that way. And uh some people flew in from other places like Grant cheat and snakes flew in. Uh, he and his wife came in for it and tabled at it. And uh, my uh, friend, Sam Grinberg out in Los Angeles came in for it. Uh, and yeah, it, it went great. Uh, the, um, we, we wanted to do that just as a way to sort of just, yeah, to, to provide some kind of like fest in the summertime that brought like all of our like creative friends together and, um, want to continue and we, we did a small version of it in 2022 this past year it, uh, mm -hmm. in the in August we did a, a very very small a much smaller edition of it just as kind of like still feel like at at the time and still now too like just with COVID and stuff I was like I don't think we should do something as big as the previous one because it was like a, a massive fest with lots of people at it and it was like, I think we could probably do like a show of like 10 to 20 people in like a space where it's open air and like spread out enough to where um, it's more of like a pop-up art book fair versus like this sort of like big event where like, yeah, musicians perform and stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely something we're planning to continue to do um, in different ways. And now, honestly, after planning a, a, a wedding, like... I feel like that was like, I, it's like, oh, this is like, I, I have all this information on how to like book, uh, venues now and like what that <laughs> looks like and what the costs are. And it's like, oh, okay. So like, if we wanted to grow that, I like from being like the kind of the main point person planning the wedding for Siobhan and I, like, it's like, oh, okay, well now maybe I can use that knowledge I have now and like grow the book fair in a different way to make it like bigger. So definitely would like to um, open it up more because we definitely have relied on our friends and like sort of like creative, like community of people that we have to table at it. Whereas I would like to like open it up to people, whoever wants to table at it. And we've connected with some people at like Brook, uh, come across Brooklyn and different book fairs who have like, like met us and, you know, connected with us and uh, tabled at like this last iteration. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it would be cool to make, to open it up more to, so yeah, the people we don't know, because there's so many great artists mm -hmm. out there. Exactly. Um, I know uh, that uh, a book that I think came out last year, um, or fairly recently, is uh, uh, your kid's book, Intergalactic Moving Day. Uh, like, what was the yeah. process of um, working, like, how, like get, getting a publisher to take it on uh, and the process of like working on it and 
uh, developing that? Yeah. Uh, out on POW Kids Books, part of the Powerhouse Arena in Brooklyn. Um, it's a... Uh, it, it was a, I like it's like I feel like the the most interesting part of the, the whole process and even the most interesting part of like you know t- the two of us talking to each other is probably talking more about the things that like were a struggle or like that people yeah. don't realize like don't don't necessarily understand it's like the because some stuff was very like one plus one is this like it's like oh I met you yep. I met Marshall I had this portfolio and then you kind of yep. you both explained sort of the editorial process but then there are things that are more of a struggle or more just like Wow, I don't. What well, I'm this is this is so much work, and uh, no one is like kind of similar to what I was saying with like sending out a postcard and no one saying anything. So in 2017, I wrote this story called Intergalactic Moving Day. I from tabling, you know, at, at that point I had been tabling yeah. around the country for about seven years. My comics are not necessarily for children. It's not like they're so like scandalous that a kid couldn't read them, but like the writing in them is not write it written in a way that like a child could read it. Like right. uh, the age reading level is probably like, you know, like 12 plus or something like that. Yeah. Um, just in regards to the vocabulary. Um, and uh, so I, I was, and, but my work is very colorful. It's bright. Like, you know, I often interact with parents and their kids at like book fairs where their kids want to buy like a patch or like, you know, whatever. But then it's like, Oh, well, what are your books? And it's like, well, you probably, you maybe you could read this to them. Like, you know, my mom read me Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit when I was a kid. So it's like, I guess, you know, it's not that my stories are so <laughs> verbose, like verbose that it's like a Tolkien story. But, uh, you know, uh, I was like, I should, I feel like I should write a story for kids. Like, cause that was such a big part of my childhood, like growing up is getting stories read to me and like reading kids books and, you know, kind of setting out and sort of having the knowledge of like, uh, you know, Siobhan worked in the book publishing industry uh, for so many years and sort of having that inside insight into like what the process is into like pitching a book and like making a book. Um, So in 2017, I wrote that story and then I sketched it out and I followed sort of the traditional like children's book process where it's like, you make a dummy book, you have the script, you make some samples, and then you send it out. And then hopefully someone says something. So I did that. And um, I sent it out. It was the sketch dummy book, some sample art, the script, and then like a little portfolio of like my existing work and like bio and stuff. I sent it to like a lot of publishers, like so many different publishers back in 2017. And maybe like 2018, I guess, probably because I wrote it in 2017. But anyways, like around that time, like a while ago, um and heard nothing nothing like no one said anything so i was like all right, all right this is like back because it and it also at the same time it's like well this is also me putting my toes in like setting my toes in sort of a new new industry where like similar to like being at the beginning of your illustration career and like sending out promo emails some promo postcards and hearing nothing where it's like yeah not always going to like immediately be an overnight success and so so much of this life as an artist is about the small victories and not necessarily about like some big break. And that, that is the thing that Marshall repeated constantly to all of us. And like, is definitely something that I, I agree with. And like, you know, I, I did that and like, I was like, okay, I didn't really hear anything about it. So I should like, kind of like, just like sit on it for a little bit. And then like COVID happened in 2020 and I was like, I got, okay, like we're not going anywhere. I ha- I feel like I actually have some extra time to make more, even more work. So like, maybe I'm just going to like make this entire thing and then send it out. And if nobody publishes it, then, then it'll just be another 
like one of the like books that I publish myself. And then I'll try this again with a different story. It's like, so in 2020, I spent a whole month of that year, like drawing it, like and illustrating it completely to like final to like what it looks like now in the book that, uh, you, you have. And, um, I sent it out to like, probably tw I, I did a, like maybe more research this time and didn't just send it out to like this, hu a huge, like, like a million different, like a lot of different publishers and sent it out to like, it's like these, like maybe like, Eight, eight to 12 like publishers seem like this is the right fit and one really felt like the right fit and it is the one that ended up publishing it like i sent it out in like i want to say like august of 2020 and like heard back in like you know september october it was a pretty quick quick turnaround and yeah it, it honestly couldn't be a more perfect situation in regards to who's publishing it because it's pow kids books and you know it's the imprint children's book imprint of the powerhouse arena in dumbo and uh yeah their their distribution is through simon and schuster so uh it's like it is exactly like the publisher that i would want to be aligned with it's like a, a, mm -hmm. a niche cool publisher that has the reach of like a massive um you know book publishing yeah. company so uh and it's like cool to see that like it's great to have a book now that like people in other countries can buy and that isn't like you know it isn't going to cost them a lot to have it shipped to them because it's actually available where they are versus like you know having to buy it from me and getting charged egregious shipping prices because of what it costs to ship a book to like australia or the uk or oh something. yeah um and yeah so that, that was a long process. So yeah, I wrote it in 2017, kind of like pitched it probably like 2018, sat on it for two years, drew it in 2020 and then sent it out again. And like, I think like when it was published, I definitely got some messages that I kind of like people trying to figure out how I got it published or, you know, like how, how it worked. And it's just like, it was, it was a lot of work and it was a pro yeah. project I was passionate about. And, um, you know, it, it worked out uh like i remember someone asking me if it was like harder than a like if i felt like the process was like for me to create it was harder than a comic or easier than a comic but it all kind of feels the same to me um right but yeah yeah and i'm working on a second like i've mostly written this almost completely finalized a second story uh similar age range for kids um and I'm working sort of on the sketches now. Sweet. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. And when it comes out in like five years or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, and you don't have a literary agent that helped you along the way. You just kind of with the advice of Siobhan myself. And, yeah. Yeah. Just totally. yourself. That, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah you I don't really the contract myself. Like, um, oh, I felt cool. like I could do it and I don't know. Yeah. It, almost everything made sense. I had to ask them to define a few things, uh, that I didn't understand in the writing, right. but, uh, yeah, totally. I yeah, know, look, I, I, I've had some illustration reps. I know literary agents totally different and maybe eventually I will get a literary agent, but like, yeah, I've had some illustration reps that I have had terrible experiences with right. in the past where it's like, this isn't working. I think I've paid you more money this year than you have brought me jobs. And, yeah. uh, let's end this. And then other reps that uh, have facilitated projects that were are incredible that, you know, the people that were the directors of that agency are still friends to this day. We just aren't, don't really, the, the projects we don't really work on anymore, but 
Right. Yeah. I, I guess for me at that time, it was just like, I'm just going to do this myself. And, and at that time too, it was not long after I had gotten rid of one of my, the, the rep that I didn't have a positive experience with. So like, yeah, um, I was kind of feeling like a little like trepidation just about trusting like other people in regards to just sort of like that. And I don't know. Yeah. It was during 2020, like how, like, you know, how many people were publishing children's books and trying to find literary agents in 2020. So it's like, I'm just going to do this myself. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a literary rep and like the, the experience has been like pretty all right. You know, I haven't gotten nice. any work yet. It's been like, you know, a couple of months, uh, yeah. but I'm not really expecting to get work right away or, immediately it's just like anything else but also they only touch my you know book work they're Your not literary, touching yeah they're nice. not touching my editorial they're not touching my advertising my animation work they're not touching totally. any of that so um that's like you know kind of the beauty and also you know uh i, I have a friend who has done uh who got a rep who then helped them you know secure like two like eighty thousand dollar like children's books and i'm just like hell yeah hell yeah like why not you know um one so you've done editorial you've done like advertising you've done comics now children's book but the one project that i feel like was pretty unique um that we've kind of talked about a little bit before um you know you know starting to record is uh the work that you did for quality eats uh can you talk about all of the work uh that you've done for them what quality eats is and all the things kind of involved with that totally yeah quality eats is like a killer restaurant steakhouse uh in greenwich village also on the upper east side now too. uh drop in for a patty melt their patty melt is killer so are their cocktails yeah. uh they have a cracker jack old-fashioned that comes with a cracker jack toy uh but yeah such a killer restaurant like great like contra like i love like restaurants like that that are like they have like it's sort of like serious like steaks but then also like there's like a, a party element to it in some way and like Back in 2015, I was hired by this ad agency uh, called Reunion in Brooklyn to provide a big flash sheet of drawings that were laser etched into the bar of Quality Eats. Um, and still, they're on the wooden bar there today. Um, and uh, then years, uh, I, I then just remained in contact with like some of the people that worked at, actually like worked at the restaurant and like... Um, would go any anytime Siobhan and I visit New York, we'd go back and like eat there. And um like one of the last times we were in New York last year, uh like in no we were there for Mocha. Excuse yep. me, uh in twenty twenty two and uh yeah, the two we, we went there and like I kind of like linked back up with them and they brought uh brought me back to uh paint their dining cabin uh the mural's still there i like kind of it was fun it's an interesting unique project in regards to just like taking the flash sheet that i originally made for them in 2015 and then like seven years later re kind of interpreting the drawings they did and then adding new drawings to them and then taking those out on the streets of greenwich mm -hmm. village and like drawing them all over the dining cabin uh over like three days um and yeah, it's been really fun working on different stuff with them where it feels like, uh, yeah, we're, we're sort of like building from past work versus necessarily like having to reinvent the wheel each time. And the, like in the, in the, um, winter season during the holidays, they do like a festivist like party all month. And I like illustrated, uh, placemats for, 
uh, their cocktails. So kind of like referencing old like 1960s like tiki cocktail menus that are like lushly illustrated. Uh, I took like their like 10 special cocktails for that the month of December and like drew, drew this whole like placemat uh, as part of their like festivist like celebration for the last month at both locations. So it's been cool working on stuff with them. Um, yeah, their their creative director Brian's like got a lot of really great ideas and just like yeah, like I think like really facilitates like some like cool like fun stuff in this space that makes like really really like great food. Amazing. Uh, I do want to talk about your collaboration with Complex and AEW Wrestling. Uh, what was that like, and how did you end sure. up getting that yeah. gig? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I had to pick, like, probably one of my favorite projects I've ever been asked to do, it would definitely be uh, that Complex series. I worked with them for a, mo- a whole month in 2020. Uh, big time thanks to Jared at Complex for hiring me to do that work. And... Um, you know, I uh, kind of getting to to the the project that I worked on for them. I had to illustrate the first year in this wrestling promotion called All Elite Wrestling. I, all of their <clears throat> it was a top ten of their favorite moments. So Complex was working with AEW, and then like brought me in to do the illustrations for the campaign. And uh, you know, I I think like initiating like personal projects and sort of like finding ways to connect your niche interests to your creative practices, something that like in like a genuine way where it's like, this is the stuff that I love and here's how I'm like linking it to like my work as an illustrator is such an important thing to do in regards to like professional development and just Mm -hmm. even just as your development as an artist. And I started this project called torture act um, back in 2018 uh, you and I were going to a lot of like wrestling shows in New York City, Ring mm-hmm. of Honor, Final Battle at the uh, Manhattan Center, and I was going to lots of shows like when I travel out to Los Angeles and stuff too. And I was like, I want to start like drawing some of this stuff and like writing about these experiences. So I started this project called Torture Act, um, and currently work on the fifth issue of it right now. Uh, that started as like a zine project and sort of just like a way for me to like draw these different like things that I love. Um, throughout the history of professional wrestling. Um, and yeah, that project and that work was kind of like almost like a proof of concept for this like complex job or something where it's like, here are my existing interpretations. Not, not why I did it, but I feel like part of the reason why I was tapped to do that job was because I already had this like huge, like, you know, five year portfolio of work that was about wrestling. Um, and at that time, actually, that that same year, I had traveled to Tokyo specifically to go to Wrestle Kingdom, um, the New Japan Pro Wrestling's like biggest event with my friend Thomas. Uh, and the last issue, the issue that I made that year, was specifically like our journey to Tokyo and sort of like a travel uh, illustrated travel journal of my experience there. Um, so yeah, and then that led to working with Complex for a month on those illustrations, and it was like like so cool to to do that, and you know definitely a dream dream illustration project for sure. It, it's really funny how like uh, the things that we absolutely love and the things that we're obsessed with, we end up like putting that into our work because a lot of your work really is steeped in nostalgia and things that you like love and you're passionate about. That's like 
not about like referencing like old art pieces or something. It's like, you know, you like wrestling a lot. What was, what was your, uh, some of your first memories of, you know, wrestling, uh, growing up in Ohio? Um, pro- I mean, my earliest memory of seeing wrestling was at this Coliseum in Akron and, uh i was probably like four or three years old like probably like one of the youngest memories of my my my, my existence as a person um yeah. my parents bought me legion of me and my older brother legion of doom spikes like they're like red spikes with like black <laughs> and you know what they are but um yeah they look like football spikes and there's black spikes coming off them looks like some like mad max gear um but I, yeah, we sat in the stands, we watched Legion of Doom wearing our Legion of Doom spikes and watched The Undertaker and all of the early WWF wrestlers like, you know, that I was forced was like the early 90s, um, definitely like a high point for professional wrestling in regards to uh, Western wrestling. And uh, yeah, it, it, I just think like, you know, it makes sense looking back on like how much of my like childhood was informed by that. And then, you know, we both grew up during the Attitude Era, which was like a peak point for wrestling. And yeah, a, lo- a lot of my life, like, yeah, would as a, a young kid, I feel like before I like discovered punk music, there was wrestling and then I discovered punk music. And then those two things I think definitely are woven into the fabric of who I am as a person. Um, and definitely informed a lot of like my life. And yeah, my, my mom watched wrestling with her brother when she was a kid and her brother, who, who, her, her brother who is deceased, who, who passed away as a, a child. Um, yeah. His name is Francis, uh, Frankie for short. And he died uh, saving him and his friends were walking out on Lake Erie and uh, one of them fell in and Francis jumped in. Frankie jumped in to save his friend that fell in. Frankie never returned. This was like, you know, my mom's in her late sixties. So this is like 50, 50 years ago. I, I never knew Frankie, but starts wrestling in that like my, and my comic art in regards to like the history of, um, the character Hunter Francis in my comics, uh, he, his name comes from that, uh, my uncle who I'd never met. And, uh, it's just interesting how like our like interests and passions like that can, can like lead to different things. Cause like when I wrote, I wrote that comic Hunter Francis, which is about a person who has a, a punk kid that has a skull burst out of his chest when he's 13, it ruins his life in every way. Can't hold relationships, can't hold a job. But then he meets a wrestling promoter. Who's like, you would be, an attraction you should come wrestle and so then he wrestles and uh you know establishes his identity as a professional wrestler and like you know it becomes a success and finds his place in the world and uh that project that has led to a actual professional wrestler wrestling (laughs) as Hunter francis so uh tearing up philadelphia in the east coast he there's someone in like an actual actually well this is not this is an audio format but like i have the professional like lucha yeah. version of the professional lucha mask here uh i, I mean my, this is uh, this is gonna this is gonna this is gonna end up on youtube eventually too so oh nice cool well this is a match that can be seen for then yeah so uh <laughs> i yeah so it's like you know these fi- finding these ways to like link like I think wrestling has always like to me, like it's all about storytelling and in a way that feels like very organic and exciting. And so it made sense to kind of like link a comic to that. And 
find ways to sort of link my creative practice to that. And, you know, the, the best possible outcome of that comic, Haunted Francis, happened, which is that someone is, like, wrestling as Haunted Francis. His intro music is uh, Kids of the Black Hole by the Adolescents. Oh, man, uh, perfect. And, you know, like, just seeing that, like, I don't know, yeah, that the first time he wrestled was a couple years ago, and, like, seeing the entrance of Haunted Francis, like, bust out onto the scene to the Adolescents because of the Black Hole, it's, like, I don't know. This is definitely like a definitive, like I'm so happy that I'm making illustrations, making art and all of this mm-hmm. stuff, all of these different things in my life have like homogenized together to like, yeah, bring this thing together. And, um, yeah, it, wrestling has, uh, has always been a big part of, of my life as a person. Uh, like I said, it's like led me to go to Tokyo. It's, and you know, like, uh, <clears throat> in that issue of torture rack, I write about how like the early, my earliest memories of like understanding like that people, like being like five years old and like not necessarily understanding what travel is, but then understanding like Cactus Jack is going to Japan to like the Kawasaki stadium to have a death match with Terry Funk. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think I really understood what international travel was until I read that. And then I was like, and I would look at my mom would be like grocery shopping and I'd go to the magazine stand, like look at these magazines and see like pictures of like, the Tokyo Dome or the Kawasaki Stadium and like be like, wow, this is like this like such a weird and a cool insight into this world, into like another like continent, into another like culture and world that I don't know and I don't understand. And, you know, then decades later, <clears throat> I traveled to Tokyo to watch wrestling and uh, yeah, it, it's cool to think about the different things that you have in life that kind of can lead you that way. And, you know, I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I probably, I, I love Tokyo and like, you know, the, the city and culture there is incredible, but I don't know that I would have been as motivated if it wasn't for Wrestle Kingdom to like actually like pull the trigger and like go to on that journey with Thomas. Amazing. So yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, wrestling, I feel like, and you know, just even connecting with different people, like a lot of friends in Los Angeles now that are very, that are like also artists or like photographers mm-hmm. and stuff that are like doing creative things with wrestling and like you know, you and I went to so many shows together around New York. Um, yeah. and like seeing a lot of the people that are like, that I got to draw for that complex AEW article. Like we got to see like years ago in such a small space and it's cool to see that it's like grown so much now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that, uh, AEW really, uh, has, you know, WWE shaken in their boots because there's so much more about like letting the wrestlers actually control the narrative of right. like, you know, what they do versus how much more, you know, written and, you know, controlled, uh, it is from like Vince McMahon and all that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, it's in like a transitional, definitely in a transitional period for sure. And like, yeah, it's cool that there's like a, a, a another wrestling company in the States that is having shows big enough, like the show we went to for my bachelor party in Vegas yeah. or nothing. Like that was a huge, that was crazy. Like being in that yeah. like <clears throat> arena and like just the wall of people, like all around us, like screaming for that, like, you know, 20,000 people being in a, a, a arena of 20,000 people watching wrestling. Like it's cool to see that there's like another like space and a space. Yeah. Like you're saying that's like, you know, creatively energizing for people who have like weirder ideas within wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, Totally. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, punk music. Um, 
you know, how has that driven you and like been an obsession and inspiration for you? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying, I feel like I had wrestling up until I discovered punk music. Then I discovered punk music. And then like, you know, now it's like, those are like the two things I feel like that are the most creatively energizing to me, like in regards to like my practice as an artist. And like, I'm, I feel like constantly like, you know, uh, still discovering and looking for like new, like punk music and like still reading a lot about like punk history like currently reading uh keith morris's biography um my damage and like keith morris like i mean i know there are a lot of like everyone has their own opinion on what who their favorite punks are like what their favorite version of black flag is but to me like one of the most definitive like my like probably what if i had to pick right now like all-time favorite like punk record probably like black flags nervous breakdown and you know it's under six minutes keith morris just sounds like such a such a like i don't know his voice like is so perfect in regards to just that the the songs like the song nervous breakdowns uh is just such a great track and i've been reading his biography and it's cool just like learning more about like the different bands that existed there then that I, I wasn't conscious of, or even just like that I didn't realize existed at the same time where it's like, you'll hear a band, like it's a band called the Dills that was around back then. And like, I knew they were like an older band, but I actually don't, I never connected, never read too much more into that band apart from just like, I like that Dills record. And um, then realizing like, Oh yeah, they were around for the like formation of like the Los Angeles punk scene, basically. Uh and yeah, it's cool, like, reading more about Keith Morris, because I feel, I, almost every single time my little brother and I have gone to Los Feliz, and uh, my cousin, we, we traveled to see him in Los Angeles, and he lives in Los Feliz, uh, and there's a restaurant called Fred 62, and my little brother and I have really long breakfast there, and like we'll like talk, for some reason we end up talking for like four hours there. Also, the person that eats breakfast there is Keith Morris. So we I've seen him, like, eating breakfast multiple times the first time it happened like i said hello of course but um like it's so sick like i don't know it's like thinking about these different like sort of like icons and like in wrestling and in punk that like i feel like have been so inspirational to me it's like yeah seeing that person just being a regular person was like i don't know yeah a very cool experience and in reading this mm -hmm. book he talks about how like living in los Feliz and like um yeah, just like kind of basically describes like what I witnessed in real life accidentally, uh, incidentally. And yeah, man, like uh, I, and you know, I, I think like the energy that punk music sort of like has imbued my life with is something that like will never go away. And uh, I don't know, for me in my creative practice, I think finding the things that you're genuinely interested in and researching them and like treating them in a way that right. like, someone who's in it, like someone some like art historian whose like job is to like research like brutalist architecture like mm -hmm. taking that this as seriously as that where it's like this is like re this is like research in regards to just like this thing i'm obsessed with in regards to either like you know japanese professional wrestling like los angeles punk music and kind of like obsessively reading about those mm -hmm. things and like finding more and more information about uh about that stuff it's like 
been very valuable to my like uh process artistically and then just like you know right from as like a hobby slash interest is like yeah definitely something i really enjoy doing i i mean so uh the 2006 film american hardcore which documents oh, yeah. uh 1980 to 1986 um you know way first wave of uh hardcore music in america where it started as a being disillusioned by like, you know, punk music that was coming out post 1977 and how commercialized, you know, they really turned it into and bringing it back to the DIY roots and really taking hard stances on things that they believe in and bringing it back to being, making punk, not just a, movement that was about being anti-capitalist but also uh being one that was against things that were kind of destructive and at the time didn't really have a lot of things like the straight edge movement that like basically uh you know propelled people to like actually think for themselves and not turn to drugs and alcohol and you know for you know a way of coping but you know turning to like you know, aggressive, fast music and community as a way of helping to cope yourself through everything. And that documentary not just not only told me about like, you know, New York and DC hardcore and LA, but also about a whole, you know, Midwest uh, and, and, and Southern hardcore that came out like, I think like Husker Du and Dirty Rotten Imbeciles or, you know, uh, uh, DR. I, as they're called, oh, yeah, and yeah. Um, I think even uh, uh, I actually I think millions of dead cops are an LA band. I could be wrong, uh, or maybe they're from Texas. But um, <laughs> there's just like a, a whole slew that I was like, I don't know any anything. I just know that these bands exist, and I always thought they're, they're either from DC, New York, or LA. And yeah, like it's really spots, cool totally. to really know so much even like reno nevada that they, they came the seven seconds is from reno nevada and that that's yeah, like one awesome of, one of my favorite punk bands ever is from cleveland ohio uh yeah nine shocks terror oh yeah their album zen and the art of beating your ass is like <laughs> one of the greatest uh <laughs> record punk records ever just so much there's so much like yeah it's yeah. so catchy and so aggressive mm -hmm. in like the best possible way. Uh, yeah, but I think that like um you know, that era of hardcore punk really is a time capsule of like the history of politics at that moment. Like a lot of like anti Reagan mm, stuff. True, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's uh, very true. But, yeah. but definitely like there's a lot of music in there that is super like inspirational in a way on a very like you know easy to understand and reachable kind of like ideal you know like i yeah, feel I mean, like even just like i didn't get through ahead. like senior year of high school and like the first four years of undergrad if i didn't you know discover black flag and you know totally it's all coming yeah. back around to black flag but you know 100 percent, uh, dude yeah i mean like how relatable are the lyrics of nervous breakdown i'm about to have a nervous breakdown my head really yeah. hurts if i don't find yeah. a way out of here i'm gonna go berserk or even like, like rise above, like rise yeah, above, man. also great, man. Like yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like a lot of that, like yeah, early punk. 
but yeah, kind of like, yeah, bringing it back to like what I was talking about, about finding community and people you mm-hmm. understand or like things that you feel like kind of like understand you in a way where it's like this, like mm-hmm. art piece that's existed for years before you were even born. Like, you know, that record came out right. a decade before I was, we were born and like, but then here we're finding it like, you know, like decades is like 20, 30, 40 years later. And like, right. it's like, yeah, it's still uh, so relatable and yeah so killer so when uh when you were growing up you you played uh outdoor hockey right no actually hockey so i like most 90s kids loved the mighty ducks yep and that was like wow why wasn't my childhood yeah. why wasn't i rolling around with like emilio estevez quacking <laughs> i mean so, I, I i had like rollerblades and i played outdoor hockey but then i just didn't and then when i found out that as an adult you're playing outdoor hockey with a bunch of dads like yeah man yeah like i awesome. help run a, a, cl- a hockey club in kansas city and i just i'm like i have this gigantic glass of like electrolytes right now because we had a we play like these really long like two and a half hour games where like we had a game last night um late last night and um yeah like the uh it's we play at this outdoor court uh and it's like street hockey on feet uh but if there's like rink rinks for it i played in new york too like uh down sort of on the lower east side financial district and like yeah i started playing like five or six years ago uh just because it was the thing i always wanted to do and i i wanted to find a way to like exercise more that but I, like i don't like going to like gyms like i do yoga almost every single day but like uh as like sort of a way yeah just to like stretch out exercise and wanted to find a way to like exercise a little bit more um mostly mostly just because like health related stuff and like as i was told like I, sh- I should like kind of like find a way to like uh get a little bit more like physical and like actively engaged and like i played sports a lot when i was like a little kid and mm-hmm. uh like i played like basketball and baseball and stuff and like never hockey I, like i played hockey in my like driveway or whatever but never in the league and uh, a good friend of mine here, Marco, uh, who's a colleague of mine at the university, actually uh, started, founded a club here, and I help him run it now. Um, and yeah, we play like two to three games a week for about three hours straight, and it's it's so much running and so so taxing, but like such a fun like yeah, it's like it just feels like it does not feel like I'm running the amount that I run out on that court, but right. uh, yeah, it's it's a great way to like stay active and like. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's fun to like kind of break up the day in some way like that, where it's like, I'm not sitting at a desk anymore. Right. Uh, another thing too is, is that you watch, I mean, when you were, when you and I uh, are hanging out in New York, we're usually either seeing a movie or going out to eat somewhere that looks really cool or we're seeing wrestling. Uh, how many movies did you watch in last year? Dude? Yeah. Right. Uh, I think what, I know you asked me a specific question, but because we're talking, I feel like one of my favorite experiences in a movie theater was with you when we went yeah. to see Midsommar. Oh my and God. And like the face explosion scene and both of us just like screaming, like, yeah, I like just like kind of having a reaction, like, holy shit. Like what? Yeah. We, like, we saw like that movie and we also saw, uh, the same director hereditary hereditary. Yeah. And that movie uh-huh. just going in with like, too. no, no expectations like what is this going to be and like yeah i haven't even seen a trailer uh, for it before that and i was like what, <laughs> right, what the hell same. yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember like because Hereditary, the first one was like it's just like this horror movie has some buzz. Let's go see it because a lot of times you and I, when uh, we were both in New York, especially in the summertime, if we didn't have the illustration stuff we had to do that was like pressing, like you and I would go see like a matinee show, yeah. at, like the Williamsburg uh, Cinema. Such a great, great experience. And yeah, sometimes we'd see crazy horror movies and. Yeah, I watched like over 400 movies last year. Like, I, I always have movies on when I'm drawing, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's become a fun sort of way to like listen listen to and watch new narratives and like kind of sort of figure out new ways to sort of inform my work. Um, I've always been into movies, but I feel like over the last like three or four years, um, yeah, I, I feel like I, I've gotten like. I don't know. Yeah, I guess my whole life I've really been into, into movies, but I wasn't watching 400 movies a year. You know, <laughs> it's just become like a part of my life. Because I have like an old, like, uh, Sony, like, not a f- flat screen, like the pre flat right. screen, just like old old TV on my desk right. in, our, in me and Frank studio. And, you know, we'll have on some, like, I don't know. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of, like, Dario Argento's movies and this guy Mario Bava. Um, he's, like, an Italian director that I really love. Um, I actually got to do some... I got uh, brought on to do some, like, merch for this company called Rough Cut Fan Club uh, that does, like, their, like, tagline is movie shirts for punks. Um, Sweet. Everyone should check them out, yeah. Uh, but I did, like, a Mario Bava double feature for them where I illustrated his movies, Blood and Black Lace and Hercules in the Haunted World. Uh, both movies I would very much highly recommend. Uh, Hercules in the Haunted World, like the story is crazy and like the the production design is incredible. And Blood and Black Lace is just like one of the most beautifully like saturated movies I've ever seen. Like, yeah, any visual person would ex- appreciate both those movies. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any movies, uh, both either old or about to come out that you're looking forward to seeing soon? Well, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you maybe are excited about this too. Like Ari Aster's new movie, the, uh, that Joaquin Phoenix is going to be in, uh, mm-hmm. or that is, he is in, uh, Bo is afraid. Seems like it's going to be great. Um, yeah, like that, that, uh, I'm sure I, the trailer just was released like a week ago and like, it looks crazy. Right. Um, yeah, I was really excited to see that. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of other like newer movies that I've watched, like a new movie that I've watched that it's like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. Re- re- recently i asked uh, i was like hanging out with a, a friend of mine and a new friend um and uh i asked them i'm like oh like what were what was your favorite movies that, that, uh from uh last year and they're like well i'm interested in what your or yours is first and i felt like um i felt a little bad because uh, the movies that I met, the movie I mentioned that I felt like was like the movie that I saw recently that I thought was like that really shook me was the menu. That movie was, oh yeah, that was great. Uh, Lord Voldemort so, as head chef. Yep. <laughs> Ray Fiennes. Yeah, uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, but then crazy. they were like, uh, but then they were like, oh, like you didn't think everywhere, everything all at once, or was like. Oh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that was actually like probably like the best movie of 2022. Yeah, of, of course. That there was a lot of incredible movies released last year. I guess I was trying to think of like movies coming out in 2023. Like that Ari yeah. film was one that like comes to mind immediately. But like, nope, mm-hmm. Jordan Peele's film was incredible. Oh yeah, that was That's, good. I, maybe my favorite, one of my favorite movies of the decade so far. That and Barbarian, I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've been holding off on watching that yet. Uh, I that's on my list of things to watch. I know it's on HBO, so yeah. Try to avoid reading anything. That I Barbarian and Nope are probably my two favorite movies since twenty twenty. Um, I took like a film history class last year and wrote like a ten page yeah. paper about Barbarian. It's yeah, it's killer. Um, yeah, some classic. There's some cla- There's some scenes in that that feel like. Kind of like when we watch Midsommar and like just like the, the the people standing on top of the mountain being like, wow, this is like we're watching something that feels like it could be like, you know, something that you would see printed in like a film history book or like when you see an, uh, uh, when you're younger, before you know a lot about like different movies and stuff and you see like a Jodorowsky, like you see like an image from the Holy Mountain or something. You're like, what is this? I have to find this yeah. weird movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that is probably like, yeah, a Holy Mountain is probably... Um... By far the weirdest movie I have ever seen in my life. Like yeah. visually. Yeah, Jodorowsky's work is crazy. Yeah. Uh that Sense of Sangre is a, his other is a, one of his other like big movie is like, yeah, one of my favorites. Um yeah. completely bewildering story and like just like beautiful set pieces, incredible production design. Yeah. Well, John, I could talk to you for like three more hours and have it recorded, but Maybe we'll do yeah, like a four, four John, 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 we'll do like a John Malta returns Part or something two. in like season three yeah. or season four or something Let like that. Let me interview but, you. Oh, hear more I, mean, about you. Uh, I mean, other people have, uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, as we kind of like it. go on. Maybe it'll be more of like a conversation of being like, what's Ongoing. up talking about whatever. It'd be like, yeah. a how we always, uh, kind of like r- regular pop in and just talking about like what's going on and things and whatever it's. It'd be basically just like, you know, when anyone uh, comes up on any other podcast a second time, it'll be kind of more, oh, yeah, dude. less dude. formal, more informal, kind of hanging we'll out. We'd be happy to. But, yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks, thanks for thanks, having man. me. Yep.